you ask somebody when you meet them? What's your name, right? What's your name? Who are you? It's one of the first things you might tell somebody when you meet them. What, what your name is, who you are. When you answer the phone, you say this is, you know, and you say your name. Um, you identify yourself. Those are important things to know. When you meet someone, when you're talking to someone, you want to know who are you? Who am I meeting? Who am I talking to? Are you the right person? Are you the one I'm looking for? I have to tell you, over the years, being on staff with other Davids, you know, when David Walker was here and, and with David Harbison here, there have been many times I'd answer the phone and say, this is David, and they start launching into talking about, you know, roofing material or, you know, plumbing problems or whatever, and then I'm like, whoop, and suck right there, this is not the right David. You, you need the other David. I can't help you. Uh, so it's important that we understand that. Well, we're starting a sermon series today uh, from John's Gospel on the I Am Sayings of Jesus. One of John's theme was making sure we understood who Jesus is. Who is He? In our New Testament reading, we heard the story where Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do people think that I am? And then He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We, we have to be careful about leaning on what other people say about Jesus, who other people say that Jesus is. Because many people today will say that Jesus was a great teacher whose teachings and philosophy we should follow today. There are those who are going to say he's a great prophet like Jeremiah or Moses or Muhammad. There are people that are going to say that you know, Jesus was just a man who was mighty in power. And they're all wrong. We have to make sure that what we believe about Jesus comes from Jesus. Our eternal lives hang in the balance of answering correctly the question, who do you say that Jesus is? And I think the best person to hear from, to know who Jesus is, the best person to hold up our beliefs about Jesus against, is Jesus Himself. What did Jesus say about Himself? And this these seven I Am statements allow us to hear who Jesus is in His own words. Now, it's also important that we understand the impact of this phrase, I Am. When Jesus is saying, I Am, He's doing more than just using some random grammatical expression that we use to begin a sentence about ourselves. Like, I am hungry, or I am sleepy, or I am a very frustrated volunteer fan today, or... You know, we say I am, and we can mean all kinds of things, but I am has deep theological significance for Jews and for Christians. And it goes all the way back to what God said to Moses about himself at the burning bush. Moses asked him, Who should I tell the Israelites is sending me to them? And God answered in Exodus 3, He said, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. It's God's covenant name. The name that was revealed for the very first time at the burning bush to Moses. The, the, the name that God said He would forever be known and remembered as. And understanding how sacred this name was, and, and in their attempt to not break the commandment, to not take 
his name in vain, the Jewish people opted to just never say the name. They would never speak that name. And whenever it was found written in the Hebrew Bible, they would substitute the Hebrew word Adonai, which means Lord. And so as a result, a couple things happen. One is we've kind of lost the pronunciation of that name. It comes from the Hebrew word root that means to be. It's their word is, am. Uh, we pronounce it Yahweh, or in Latin, Jehovah. It's the same name. Uh, in your Bible, wherever it's found, you'll see Lord in all caps, like a big L and then a smaller uppercase O-R-D. And whenever you see that Lord like that in your Bible, that is the name Yahweh, the covenant name of God. And so for Jesus to repeatedly use I am to describe himself, he was claiming to be Yahweh, to be the Lord God, the covenant God of Israel, the God who revealed himself to Moses at Mount Sinai. And the Pharisees picked up on this. In John chapter 8, we read, where, the, where, where Jesus is confronting the Pharisees, and he says to them, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews replied, You weren't 50 years old yet, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. They understood what he was saying because it says they picked up stones to throw at him. They were going to stone him to death for blasphemy because he claimed to be the great I am. Well, in today's text, and we're not going in order that these appear in, in John's Gospel for a number of reasons, but in today's text, which is actually towards the end of Jesus' ministry, we see Jesus once again claiming to be one with God, to be the God of Israel. And this is by far the greatest claim that Jesus made about himself. And if we don't get this right... If we don't believe this about Jesus, then we don't really know who Jesus is. I mean, we, we will find ourselves worshiping a false god, false god who may walk and talk and act like Jesus, but it will not be the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of the gospel. It's like somebody calling and getting the wrong David. We're going to get the wrong Jesus because Jesus is God. And it is only through Him that we can come to know, love, worship, and someday be with God. So turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 14. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. This is on the night that Jesus is going to be betrayed and turned over into the hands of sinful men. They're together in the upper room. And Jesus says, Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. You know the way to where I'm going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been among you all this time, and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? 
Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does His works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for Your Holy Word. We're thankful for Jesus and what He came to do for us, for who He is. And we pray that You would be glorified through everything we say and do today and every day of our lives. Speak to us through Your Word and draw us to Yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Jesus is there with His closest friends, with His disciples, the men who are going to be His apostles, who are going to go out for Him and to spread the news of the kingdom. He loves these men. He spent three years with these men eating and walking and living and working and ministering and seeing amazing things done. And he knows what's about to happen that night and the next day. And he doesn't want their hearts to be troubled. This is the eve of Jesus' betrayal. And he wanted to give his friends some words of comfort and hope to carry them through the coming days. And so he used some expressions that would be familiar with them to comfort them because things that are familiar are comforting, aren't they? A comforting smell, comfort food, things that we grew up eating that just make us feel so warm and fuzzy when we eat them. We, we, we find places and people and traditions, things that are familiar with, to us are comforting to us. And so Jesus used words that they would have known well, either because they'd been a part of it or they had witnessed to it. He's using the words of betrothal and marriage as He's speaking to His disciples. And so for us to understand what Jesus is really saying here, we need to understand a few things about how ancient Jewish marriage worked. And it happened in three phases. The first phase is the arrangement. Okay, That's where the groom's father would be responsible for finding a suitable bride for his son. And we see an example of this in the book of Genesis. Remember when Abraham sent a servant to go find a wife for Isaac. So this was a common uh, practice back then. And after arranging the marriage, they would draw up a ketubah, a contract, uh, with provisions and conditions for the proposed marriage. Think of it like wedding vows today. Um, It was a promise of what the groom and his family would do for the bride and her family. Expectations for the betrothal period, for the wedding itself, how the groom would promise to take care of and provide for his future family. So there's the arrangement. Well, then there came the day for the betrothal ceremony to begin this betrothal period. And at the ceremony, the, before the ceremony, the groom and the bride would pass through the waters of a mikvah and would be ritually cleansed. And then they would stand under the hoopah, which was a canopy that symbolized the overshadowing presence of God. And they would recite their vows, basically formally agreeing to the ketubah, the arrangement that had already been drawn up. And then they would seal their vows by drinking from the cup of blessing. Now, part of the ketubah vows was a series of four promises that the groom would make to his bride. And they echo four promises that God made to the Israelites in Exodus chapter 6, where he said to them, I will bring you out, I will free or rescue you, I will redeem you, and I will take you as my own. And there are four cups in the Passover Seder meal, each corresponding to one of these four promises, and then these four promises became part of the Jewish patrol ceremony. So God is using and He's establishing right here the language of marriage. It's a language about love and promise 
and commitment. Israel's relationship with God was to be like that of a wife to her husband. And God uses this kind of language throughout the Bible. We see it especially in the prophets where they call Israel adulterers because of their idolatrous ways. They're being unfaithful to their God. Now, after this betrothal ceremony, that couple was considered legally married. Okay, so think of, uh, think of the betrothal like an engagement we would do today, but far more binding. Okay, so legally they were already husband and wife, but they could not live together or have sexual relations with each other yet. There's a period of at least a year. It could even be as much as seven years that in this betrothal, a period that they would be preparing themselves for marriage preparing themselves for that final wedding ceremony. The groom is responsible for a home for his wife to live in. She's responsible for learning certain skills and for, and for crafting her wedding dress and things of that nature. And we see a great example of this in Mary and Joseph. Remember, they were betrothed, but they were not yet living together. They had not yet had relations with each other because they were in that betrothal period. And then finally comes the wedding where the groom would come to take his bride from her family's house and bring her to his father's house. And they would drink the final cup of blessing, and then the best part, everyone would party for a week. Eating, singing, dancing, I mean, it just was a week-long wedding celebration. So those of you that have done weddings recently, be thankful that it was just one night, right? And you didn't have to provide for people for a whole week. But that's what they did back then. Now, you may be saying, David, that's great, that's interesting and all, but what does this have to do with what Jesus says here in John 14? Well, that's a good question. At the betrothal, after the bride basically says, I do, and drinks from the cup, the groom gives a speech, pledging his intentions, promising to follow through with this with a wedding, you know, hopefully in a year or, or, or a little longer than that. And a part of that speech included a promise to go and prepare a place for them to live and to come back and to take her to be with him. Does that sound familiar? It's what Jesus just said to his disciples. Jesus is using the language of marriage to comfort his disciples, to give them great hope that, yes, he was going to go away, but it was to fulfill his responsibility and promise to prepare a place for them. And if he's going to go and prepare a place for them, what does that mean? That means that he's also going to come back to take them to be with him in the father's house. And during that one year of betrothal, the groom at his father's house is building what's called an insula. It was a room attached to the house that would be either their temporary place to live or it could even be a permanent place to live. And a wealthy man that had many sons, it would even be said of him that his house had many rooms. And while the insula, when the insula was finished and the father approved it, he would give his son the okay and say, Son, go get your bride. And he would make his way to the bride's house. And the bride didn't, knew, didn't know the day nor the hour that the groom would come. So she had to spend that time approaching that year, making sure that she was ready for that day. Now, the Hebrew word for marriage has the same root word as the Hebrew word for sanctification. Is that interesting? Marriage and sanctification are connected because the bride and the groom are what? They're set apart for each other, right? They're sanctified. They are set apart. They are prepared and ready for one another and no one else. And so again, that betrothal period was a time of waiting, a time of preparing, a time of great anticipation and watching. It was a time 
to be sanctified before the groom comes. Listen, today we are living in the day of sanctification. We're in this period of waiting between the betrothal and the wedding, and we're to be busy preparing ourselves for the groom's return. Amen? Because there's a wedding day coming. There's a wedding feast that's coming when Jesus will come to take His bride home to be with Him in the Father's house. And we will celebrate the marriage feast of the Lamb and forever be with our Lord. And it will be a day of great celebration. But until that day, we're waiting. We live in the in-between times while our bridegroom is busy preparing our home in heaven and we should be busy preparing ourselves readying ourselves for that day when He comes to bring us home. Again, you may be saying, well, that's great, David. That that sheds some light there on verses 1 through 4. But how does this have to do with the I Am statements of Jesus? That's okay if you don't understand. Thomas didn't understand either. That's why he said, you know, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And that's when Jesus answered and said, Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus doesn't just show us the way. He is the way. Jesus doesn't just reveal truth. He is the truth. Jesus doesn't just give us life. He is our life. Jesus fully embodies these abstract ideas. So when we talk about the way, the truth, and the life, we're not talking about principles. We're talking about a person. Jesus. And Jesus spelled this out for Thomas and for us, what he meant about his betrothal promise by telling us that, first of all, he's the way. Through him, we journey to the Father's house. Through him, we journey to the Father's house. Jesus told a story, Matthew 25, about ten virgins. They were the bride's best friends, right? And so they're there waiting for her, waiting. They know that the betrothal period is almost done. They're waiting for this wedding celebration. And five of her friends were wise. They came with their lamps ready. They came with oil in their lamps ready to go when the groom shows up, ready to join this procession and go to the great wedding. The five of her friends were foolish. They didn't come prepared. They had no oil in their lamps. And so when the, when the horn was sounded that the groom was coming down the road. He was almost there. The five foolish friends, what did they do? They ran down to Walmart to buy some oil for their lamps. And there was only one lane open, and they had to wait a long time. And by the time they got back to their friend's house, they'd missed the party. The groom, the bride, five of her friends were gone, and they were shut out of the father's house. Why? Why? Because the groom was the way into the Father's house. The groom was the way to the wedding celebration. If you didn't come in with the groom, you didn't get to come in at all. This is why Jesus says that only through Him can we come to the Father. We've got to be with the groom if we want to go to the Father's house. The earliest Christians were called followers of the way. We are people of the way. Christian life isn't just about a destination. It's not just about getting to heaven when you die. It's a journey with Jesus throughout our lives. Paul often talks about walking in the Spirit and tells us to walk as children of light. He compared the Christian life to a walk, a journey with Jesus on the way. 
Think about it. From God's call to Abraham to go forth from his home country to a land that he would show him all the way to Jesus saying, come and see, come and follow me. We follow a God who's on the move. He's always walking. We follow a God who is going somewhere. And he calls us to go with him. He leads us on the right paths for his name's sake like a shepherd leading his sheep. I just finished a sermon series called The Disciples' Path where we talked about that we follow Jesus together so that we can know, love, and worship Him and someday be with Him forever. The Christian life is a journey. And we never journey alone on the way. We are together, His flock, His family, always journeying side by side with other Christians. And we're compelled to invite others onto this journey with us. Amen? We're going to invite others to come with us. We are following Jesus. We are going somewhere. And where is that place that we are going to ultimately? The Father's house. We're on our way to the Father's house. And part of our mission is to bring as many people along with us as we possibly can. Jesus called His disciples, Follow me, and immediately said, And I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and then I want you to go out and get other people to follow me. So that we can have as many people at that wedding feast as possible. The way of Jesus is a missional way of life. It's always about following Jesus, walking in His footsteps, looking for ways to be like Him, to bless other people, to call people to faith in Him, to join us on the journey. Jesus is the way. Through Him we journey to the Father's house. But secondly, Jesus said that He is the truth. By believing in Him, we belong to the Father. By believing in Him, we belong to the Father. You know, Jesus, when He said, I am the truth, that's a pretty astonishing claim, isn't it? It's right up there with, I am God. I am the great I am. I am truth. He didn't say He came to bring truth. He said He came to be the truth. So Jesus is both the messenger and the message. He's both the preacher and the sermon. And knowing the truth is more than just simply believing things about Jesus It's about knowing Jesus personally. Religions are about commands and creeds and rituals and rule-keeping, but the Christian life is about a relationship. A relationship with God through Jesus. When we sing uh, the song, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds, sometimes we'll sing that after a Lord's Supper service. We're not singing about rules. That's not what binds us. It's not the name Baptist. That's not what binds us. Jesus Christ is the tie that binds us. He is the one in whom we believe. It is through Him that we belong to the Father. It is through Jesus that we are a family of faith. We have to remember that the truth is also the way. He is the way and the truth. So faith, again, isn't about knowing something. Faith is about following someone. And again, that's why Paul often described the Christian life as a walk. It's a life of following Jesus on the way and living out the truth of Jesus every day of our lives. You know, and on Wednesday night, we're taking this road trip through the Bible, talking about trips and journeys and ways. Uh, We're studying each book of the Bible every Wednesday night. I invite you to join us. Uh, This week, we're on Deuteronomy. Don't let that discourage you from coming. But one of the things we talked about is that the first five books of of the Hebrew Bible, they call it the Torah. Okay, it means instruction. It's the law of Moses, right? Well, if you take the entirety, not just those five books, if you take the entirety of all the Jewish law, the Jewish people call that the halakha, 
The halakha. It means the way in which to go. They see the law as the way in which to go. But I'm here to say that the way is not a system of religious rules and laws. The way is a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the way in which we are to go. He invites us onto this journey with Him. In John 5, 39, again confronting the Pharisees, He says, you pour over the Scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, yet they testify about Me. Jesus is the truth. In John 14, a few verses down in our passage here, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. The Father will love him. We will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. To know Jesus as the truth requires more than just reading the Bible. We have to let the Bible read us. It requires more than just hearing the Word. We must then do the Word. We can't just listen to the teachings of Jesus. We have to keep the teachings of Jesus. We need to obey the teachings of Jesus. Imagine those of you who play golf. How many of you all play golf? Imagine that Tiger Woods or Rory McIlroy or somebody like that came to you and said, I want you to personally come spend some time with me. I'm going to teach you everything I know about the game of golf. Would you find that exciting? Would you think, wow, you know, why are you picking me to do that? For those of you that like to cook, maybe you're an aspiring chef, and Paula Dean says, I want you to come spend a year with me and learn how to cook like I do. Listen, you don't need a year. Just put a lot of butter and whatever you're cooking, and you're, and you're done. That's, that's, you don't really need it. Maybe that's a bad example. We have been invited by the one who is the truth to follow the way and learn him. The one who is the master, not at golf, not at baking. He's the master of life. And he's invited each of us to learn from him. I love the way the message puts this passage in Matthew 11. Jesus says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus is the way. Through Him we journey to the Father's house. Jesus is the truth. By believing in Him we belong to the Father. And finally, Jesus is the life. In Him we live, and He lives in us. Jesus, remember, is saying all this to His disciples as they're sitting at the Passover Seder table. Right? It's, it's the Seder meal. It's the, the first night of Passover, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, and Jesus is sitting there. So this feast is meant to commemorate what event? The Exodus, right? So let's think of what Jesus is saying here in terms of the Exodus, because this is on their minds. As Jesus says this, right? Jesus is the way out of bondage to slavery. Jesus is like the Red Sea parting. And when the Israelites crossed that Red Sea, when they made that way through the water, they never again saw their captors. Jesus is the way. He is the parting of the Red Sea. Through Him we pass through the waters of sin and death to the other side. He's the way out of the bondage of slavery to sin and death. 
Jesus is the truth who guides us in living the Christian life. Where did the Israelites go after that? They went to Mount Sinai to receive the law, to receive the instructions from God of how to live as His people. Jesus is the embodiment and the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. He is the truth of how we are to live as people of God. And third, Jesus is the life of abundant peace and purpose. The whole point of the Exodus, what was their final destination? The promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. To live the Christian life is to live in the presence and with the daily presence of Jesus. He is our sustenance. He is our provider. He is the source of abundant joy and peace and life. In Him we will live and move and have our being. As Paul wrote in Acts 17, 28. He is our way. He is our truth. He is our life. As Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he said, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Through the Holy Spirit living in us, it's like Jesus continues to be incarnate on the earth. We are His body. We are His hands and His feet. Jesus continues His work through us. He gives to us the ministry of reconciliation. We are His agents of reconciliation, ambassadors for Christ, and pleading with other people to be reconciled with God. We continue His life, His ministry, His work here on this earth. And so to be a follower of Jesus means we share in His life and we bear His cross. We live not only as disciples of His teaching, but to continue to be in the incarnation of His work in the world. And to be an incarnational disciple of Jesus means that we make His way our way. His truth our truth. His life our life. As His Spirit indwells us and works and speaks through us. And if Jesus is living in and through us, don't you think that means we should care about the things that Jesus cares about? Forgiving other people when they wrong us? feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting those who are sick and and in prison, calling sinners to repentance, welcoming in outsiders, comforting the grieving, making disciples. We should care about those things. Amen? And if we're living in the way of Christ, we should be modeling what Christ taught, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, the Great Commandments, fulfilling the Great Commission. Listen, that is our ketubah. Those are our wedding vows that we should be living by to be faithful to the groom. Listen, this morning, whatever you've experienced in your life, whatever it is you've done or whatever it is you might be facing today that has you worried, burdened, concerned, grieving, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in Jesus. He is there with you. And you're invited. You're invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb, not just as a guest, but as the bride. As Revelation 19.9 says, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. We're invited because we are the bride of Christ, the church. But it's your choice. He's invited you. He's invited you to come. But you have the right to either accept or reject His invitation. But you can rest assured that when you accept it, When you accept His love and forgiveness and salvation, know this, He is preparing a place for you. And someday He's going to come to bring you to be home with Him forever. And we're going to be there celebrating and feasting and singing and dancing. And the miracle of heaven is every one of us are going to sing and dance beautifully. 
Heaven is a never-ending wedding celebration. That's what it is. Leonard Sweet wrote, To follow Jesus is to receive the gift of grace and to love Jesus with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength so that Jesus can live His resurrection, way, truth, and life in and through us. Or someone even more succinctly said, The Jesus way, wedded to the Jesus truth, brings about the Jesus life. Do you believe the Jesus truth? Do you believe the gospel that says that God loves you just as you are, but He loves you too much to leave you that way? That we are all sinners? That we are lost and separated from God, but through Jesus Christ we can be brought near? We can be reconciled with Him? We can be forgiven and given a fresh start? That Jesus will make all the old things new? Do you believe that? Have you committed to walking the Jesus way? Have you said to Jesus, Yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. Forgive me of my sins. I want to follow in your way. Listen, you can't know the Jesus life if you haven't done those things. That's why he said the way, the truth, and then the life. The life comes because we commit to following him and living by his truth. Have you done that? If there's any doubt in your mind about your eternal destiny, about where you stand with Christ, I invite you to come in just a moment. I'd love to help you settle that today. To say yes to his invitation to belong to him. Maybe God is calling you to unite with this church family to serve God together with us here. Listen, we are a community of faith. We're not perfect, but together we're striving to walk the Jesus way. Together we are committing to believe the Jesus truth even when it steps on our toes and makes us uncomfortable. And together we want to live the Jesus life in fellowship, in worship, in service to Him and His kingdom. Whatever God's Spirit is speaking to you this morning, I pray that you'll be obedient. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we thank You for the beauty of the truth of Your Word. Jesus, we thank You that You came to be the way, the truth, and the life for us. You are the only way to the Father because You are the groom and You are leading us to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And Father, if there's anyone here that has not tended their lamps. They don't have the oil ready. They're thinking, oh, I'll get around to it someday. I pray that you would convict them and that today would be the day of salvation for them. God, maybe we've got people in our lives that we know we need to go share the gospel with. We need to go and tell them this good news so they don't miss out. Help us remember it could be any day. We need to be ready. We need to make sure those we love are ready. God, move and work in our hearts and lives. Help us to trust in your truth, to walk in your way, and to enjoy the abundant blessings of your life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please come and respond as God leads you today?